Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, what a blessing this day is to us. It's a day we've never seen before. It is a beautiful fall day in your creation. It is a day of worship and rest for us. We thank you for the gift of this opportunity to fellowship with one another, uh, to share our lives together, our joys and sorrows, <clears throat> and to call upon your name and worship you and you alone. We ask now that you would speak to us always a word of challenge and conviction, a word of liberation and freedom, a word of hope, power, promise, transformation, and joy. We love you, Lord. We thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> My sermon text for this morning is the Gospel lesson, Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. My sermon title for today is Four Words from Verse 13. Four Words from Verse 13. An Opportunity to Testify. An Opportunity to Testify. When some were speaking about the temple, verse 5 casually opens up. The temple, of course, was believed to be the very place where God resided in Jerusalem a magnificent and ornate structure lately refurbished by King Herod the Great at the time of our text this morning. The temple was inundated with people offering sacrifices for the atonement of their sins and a priestly ruling class of Sadducees who presided over the entire endeavor. The innermost sanctum, called the Holy of Holies, was where the ancient Ark of the Covenant was housed. A decorated chest which contained the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. Cherubim, an order of angels, faced each other on top of the chest, and in between them was what was called the mercy seat, where God himself was believed to reside in some sense. The Holy of Holies was such a sacred space that only one person, the high priest of the Israelites, could ever enter it, and him only once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It was said that he had a long rope tied around his ankle as he did so, so that if anything went askance during his performance of ritual while in there, and he died as a result, rather than send anyone else in to get him and risk death themselves, they would be able to pull his body out by the rope. The temple sat on a prominent piece of land, the so-called Temple Mount, at the highest point of the city at that time, overlooking the rest of Jerusalem in majestic fashion. This temple at Jesus' time was also known as the Second Temple, dating back some 500 years to when the Jews returned from exile in Babylon and rebuilt it under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, Joshua and Zerubbabel. The first temple, located on this same piece of real estate, was built by King Solomon some 500 years prior to that, before being raised and leveled by the invading Babylonians. Before Solomon first constructed it, his father, King David, purchased the plot of land from one Arona the Jebusite, who used it actually as a threshing floor, in order to build there an altar and offer sacrifice to God. The reason David did so is because it was precisely there that he saw an angel of the Lord, 
who stopped a plague that had killed 70,000 people from the land from destroying the city of Jerusalem. The Bible also identifies this very place as Mount Moriah, upon which Abraham nearly sacrificed his son Isaac a thousand years prior to King David's arrival and purchase of the land. It is also traditionally believed by many to be the very place where light first appeared when God said, Let there be light in the third verse of Holy Writ. So you see, this plot of land and this building that stood atop it and what that building housed could not be more sacred. When some were speaking about the temple, verse 5 says, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. The stones here were first Abraham's stones. Then they were Arona the Jebusite's stones. Then they were David's stones. Then they were Solomon's stones. Then they were Ezra, Nehemiah, Joshua, and Zerubbabel's stones. Then they were King Herod the Great's stones, and the Sadducees and the high priest's stones. Literally, they were stones. Metaphorically, symbolically, they were human achievements, accomplishments to the glory of God. God Himself, we believe, even as did Solomon when first constructing this temple, God is spirit and as such dwelt in the highest heaven. God did not need, as it were, a physical house on earth to dwell in, but humanity desired to build and construct God one to honor Him and to designate a space, a location, where we believed His presence dwells in a special kind of way. So we as humans do things to honor God. We as humans seek to achieve things and accomplish things and build things to identify and honor and glorify God. That's what these stones really are or represent. We seek to construct families that honor God. We seek to construct jobs that honor God. We seek to identify and to live out callings and vocations that glorify God. We seek to assemble communities of justice and righteousness, communities of peace and reconciliation. Every time we forgive someone, it is a stone of sorts in this holy structure that we are striving to build. Every time you and I do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly, we are doing it to the honor of God. Every time we treat strangers with kindness and compassion and empathy, we are assembling stones together which will eventually read, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. The temple in Jerusalem, my friends, was a literal physical construct built by human hands to honor God and say, This is where God lives. The values with which we try to live our lives, the relationships we forge with one another, are symbolic, metaphorical ways in which we seek to honor God and say, actually, God lives here. 
So what do you do? When the days come when not one of those stones, stones of justice and love and kindness, stones of compassion, hospitality and service, what do you do when the days come when not one of those stones will be left upon another? All will be thrown down. Because the stones are humankind's way of honoring God in building to God's glory. So what do you do when all the ways you try to live right, all the ways you try to treat others with respect and kindness, all the ways you try to participate in the kingdom of God here on this earth come tumbling down, are disassembled, are reduced to rubble? It can be devastating to behold your dreams and hopes and aspirations and labors to help assemble a holy community, a beloved community reduced to rubble. What does verse 5 say again? The temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. Gifts dedicated to God. And so how do you confront the tragedy of your gifts dedicated to God, being destroyed, decimated, and tossed around like so many building blocks in a child's play area. According to verse 13, you testify. Testify means to bear witness to what you have seen, heard, or experienced. When you hear of wars and insurrections, testify. When nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom, testify. When there are great earthquakes and famines and plagues, testify. When there are dreadful portents above and great signs below, testify. When you are arrested and persecuted and handed over and brought before the authorities, testify. When you are betrayed by families and friends and hated by all, testify. All of these things, all of these tumultuous upheavals are nothing more, according to verse 13 anyway, than an opportunity to testify. In a world of me, you can testify to we. In a world of individualism, you can testify to community. In a world of hoarding, you can testify to sharing. In a world which defers to the rich, you can testify to James 2 verse 5, Has not God chosen the poor? In a world awash in guns, weapons whose purpose is to maim and kill, you can testify that beating our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks is not a sweet-sounding lyrical phrase, but rather an admonition to transform weapons of violence into tools of productivity. In a world where war is quickly engaged, testify, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called children of God. In a world which celebrates arrogance, testify that the exalted shall be humbled and the humbled exalted. In a world which supports venomous and vitriolic speech at every turn, testify. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
For your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. When the rest of the world is actively choosing hate and division, testify. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Testify that one member of the body cannot tell another member, I have no need of you. Testify that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In a world of utter foolishness, testify to wisdom. In a world which increasingly uplifts a lack of character, testify that the fruit of the Spirit is what the fruit of the Spirit has always been. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we treat people with kindness and gentleness and patience rather than barking incessant critique and criticism at them. In a world which rips at the seams of people attempting to live together and appreciate each other across racial, ethnic, religious, and socioeconomic lines, testify that the greatest of these is love. In a world which pursues power, testify to the cross. In a world which celebrates self, testify to selfless. In a world which resonates with self-aggrandizement, testify to sacrifice and service. In a world which once chose Barabbas over Jesus and continues all too often to choose death over life, testify that the tomb is empty. I once read this quote from one of the released schoolgirls of Chibok, Nigeria, who had been previously kidnapped by the terrorist group Boko Haram. I am not scared of Boko Haram. They are not my God. But how can you say that? about a force which kidnapped you, repeatedly raped you, and did everything in their power to dehumanize you, I thought. I can only surmise she possessed a faith that they could not touch. She reserved her fear, reverence, loyalty, and love for only one. And that was God. So, in an uncertain world, in uncertain times, we are defiant. We testify to the earliest testimony of the Christian church. Jesus is Lord. An opportunity to testify. Amen.